Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast, where every week I keep you updated on the latest trends and how-tos in coworking. I owned and operated coworking spaces for eight years and then served as the executive director of the Global Workspace Association for five years. And today I work with hundreds of operators and community managers every month, allowing me to bring you thought-provoking operator case studies and inspirational interviews with industry thought leaders to help you confidently stay on top of what's important and what you can apply to your own role in the co-working industry. Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast. This is your host, Jamie Russo. I'm so glad you're here with me today. The interview today is with Shannon and Emiliano Lerda, and they are the founders of Elevator, which is a co-warehousing space in Omaha, Nebraska. You are going to love this interview. First of all, they have a really fun, compelling story. They are married and business partners. Shannon actually started the business and then Emiliano joined her. Shannon went through our co-working startup school, which is how I knew her, and then did our management agreement course. There are a few other people that have gone through our programs that are working on co-warehousing spaces. So they've connected. I love this model. I think it's super interesting. We actually hosted a how I did this session on co-warehousing that was phenomenal. I was like furiously taking notes. I thought it was so interesting. And it was with Ecom Spaces in Atlanta, the Loading Dock in Raleigh, and Palletized. And all three of them have very different models really interesting stories, share lots of details about how their business models work. Super interesting. So I'm going to share a link to that episode. It's actually a webinar that we did in panel format. Uh, I will share the link to that. You can opt in to grab that and watch it if you're interested in the model. I'm going to put that at everythingcoworking.com forward slash co-warehousing. So if you want to watch that, webinar, you can do that and see the panelists and learn all about their stories. So back to Shannon and Emiliano, they have 56,000 square feet in Nebraska. They in Omaha, it's downtown, which is super interesting. They have 75 warehouse spaces. They have 17 private offices. 70% of their members businesses are women and or minority owned. Is that not amazing? They just opened in October, 2022. So they're still getting their feet under them, but they have 58 business members so far, which is just amazing. They have a photo studio, a video studio, a training room for 30. They have a big lobby where they do events. They have a loading dock. They have a kitchen. They're really focused on creating a really positive, supportive culture. All of their memberships are month to month. A little summary on their website is Elevator serves small to medium-sized businesses e-commerce companies and makers through co-warehousing and our amazing community. And they focus a lot on community and their community manager is in our community manager university program too, which is really fun. You're going to love this interview. Lots of good nuggets, even if you're not interested in co-warehousing. Although I encourage you, anyone who's just interested in what's happening in the industry overall, I think we're going to see more and more co-warehousing. The founder of the loading dock in Raleigh thinks that co-warehousing is actually even more relevant than co-working in smaller markets because he thinks there are folks that need the co-warehousing, you know, sort of storage, fulfillment, et cetera, services literally everywhere in like every town. So we may end up seeing more of these than co-working spaces, but generally you find a blend, co-warehousing plus co-working or office space. Again, if you want to grab the recording of the how I did this panel that we did with the other co-warehousing folks. You can do that at everythingcoworking.com forward slash co-warehousing. Okay. Enjoy our interview. I have two guests, husband and wife, business partner duo, Shannon Lerda and Emiliano Lerda, co-founder, Shannon's co-founder and president of Elevator. And Emiliano is co-founder and now CEO. And I know you just recently somewhat recently came on to the business full-time. So mm -hmm. I am super excited to chat with both of you. I think this is such a fun business model we'll talk about. So co-warehousing with co-working, I'll have you guys talk through the business model. But Shannon, I met you, you went through our co-working startup school. 
So I, I got bet. to know, yeah, a little bit about you and the model. I think you were one of the only, you, maybe you were the only one at the time doing co-warehousing, although David Fisher, you've built like a little network of folks working on this new model, which is fun. Yes, I think David Fisher was in the cohort. Okay, yeah. Or That's he, where I met him. Probably in the management agreement course. And now you you met him, had you met him before in person at GC? No, just at Juicy. First time. It's really fun to, I know, connect. And I wish I'd gotten to spend more time with both of you. So we get to meet in person briefly at Juicy a few weeks ago. And I said, we get to do a podcast. And I know you guys are still fairly new. So thank you for being brave and coming on and telling your story. <laughs> I think one of the things that's interesting about what's happening in the industry right now is, and I'd be curious, like, how you categorize what you do, because it's not true. It's not strictly co-working. But there's a lot of folks working on models that are like this shared model that maybe has workspace, really trying to figure out how to serve people, right, in this sort of unique way. And you guys, I bet, are first in your market with co-warehousing, but I'd be curious. Anyway, let's jump in and we'll let you answer all the questions. But I am looking forward to this and thrilled that you took the time to do it. Okay, tell us about first just. Tell us a little bit about Elevator, and then we'll back into how it came to be in your backgrounds. Excellent. Shannon, we'll let Shannon for, oh, yeah. I'm going to start. Okay. Emiliano already said he talks too much, so I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll moderate. Right. I'll jump in. Elevator is a combination. It's co-warehousing, about 80%, and then we have some private offices and co-working members, but it is definitely beyond mostly co-warehousing. And this came about because of a, a need that we saw in the market. Emiliano and I had an e-commerce company where we were selling pet supplies. Okay. And, that doesn't show up on either of your LinkedIn profiles. I feel like I now remember this from your story. Yes. Okay. So I, I was doing it uh, from home. We had all the shipments of toys and dog treats coming through our house and then shipping it out from there. We sold on Amazon, which is a very adventurous learning experience. And we were doing that for three years, actually, and grew significantly during that time to the point where we were busting out of our seams at our house and really just needed, we were looking for warehouse space to get out of our home because it was not a great living living environment, climbing over among boxes. boxes and yeah. poly bags. So we were just looking to get out of our house. But with a with a new adventure like that, you don't know if it's going to go really well or if you're going to need to switch gears. And so we were looking well, flexi for flexibility, small and small, like we wanted 500 square feet to start and then with the ability to grow and scale. And that's what we didn't couldn't find, looked and looked and couldn't find. So that's what led us to launching Elevator. Okay, so did you ditch it, it, the pet supply business and start this myth venture? <laughs> yes, we did. Uh, there's only We have two kids and okay. there's only so much time in the day. So we feel like focusing on one business is gonna give us the best, the best outcome. So we wound down the pet supplies okay. company and uh, Full in on co warehousing and elevator. Okay, and you do you have do you have pets? We do. We have a dog and a cat. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I figured <laughs> you were in the pet supply business. You gotta have a pet. <laughs> I have two dogs, and I'm constantly like, oh my god, the amount of money we spend on one of them's a puppy, so she chews everything. She still will like chew the pillows if I don't remove them. That it's and, yeah, so, it's painful. Yeah. So I'm sure that was a good business. Our dog likes to chew eyeglasses and AirPods. So still? Expensive he has, he has expensive taste. Yes, still. Mm -hmm. God. Yeah, I wonder how many dogs have swallowed AirPods, as a matter of fact. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Too many. Okay. Tell us about your professional backgrounds, because the pet supply thing I'd forgotten about. Shannon, you have a bit of a like real estate finance background. Emiliano, I'm very interested in your background. It's like totally unrelated, um, mm -hmm. but interesting. So Emiliano, yeah. do you, you want to go first? Sure. I'll switch over to you. Sure. I'm originally from Argentina and uh, I went to law school. I'm a licensed attorney. 
never practiced and don't intend to practice, but I know enough to be dangerous and ask questions. Okay. I, for almost a decade, I was executive director of a rapidly growing nonprofit. And we not only grew it in terms of the annual operating budget, but also the number of employees. We have more than 40 and we had to open branches across the state of Nebraska and in Southwest Iowa. And then for the last three and a half years, I worked in a family office that does real estate development and also invest investments. So real estate development that includes basically commercial real estate, like retail office, multifamily residential, and also venture capital investments. I was president of the office and I learned a lot, uh, especially working through COVID and understanding how complex financial instruments can be used and leveraged to basically further your vision. The family office also developed a, an innovation district. And so I was very much in the ecosystem of understanding how to activate and how to help people with a small and medium businesses. Okay. Got it. That totally makes more sense now. And a real like general manager, sort of CEO yeah. role in the first one. And then, so you also have real estate experience. So that might play into you guys divide, deciding to take the leap, leap. Okay, Shannon, tell us about your background. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm from Iowa, small town, born and raised. And Emiliano and I met in undergrad at the University of Northern Iowa. It was wonderful how you met. Yes, 20... 19-year wedding anniversary was yesterday. Oh, no, congrats. Yeah. So we, I've always been entrepreneurial. I think I, I claimed to have started my first business when I was four and basically never really lost the interest and the desire for that. And Emiliano is very much the same way. We started our first business together in 2000. And then we took a break and we all did, we both did careers. And I studied finance and then went to work at Principal Financial Group and doing commercial real estate lending. And uh, then after that, just dove back into the entrepreneurial adventure and started the, after having a lot of real estate experience, I knew I didn't want to go back to the corporate life. So I wanted, we wanted to try something different. And uh, we always wanted to go back into business together. So this was the opportunity, the right time, the right place the right idea and it married both of our skill sets very serendipitously okay this is perfect yeah it's hard to weave the story together looking at linkedin profiles so we're yeah. getting a yes. little behind the scenes emiliano we interviewed geo and i interviewed jamie hodari on the podcast i don't know if you listen to it his dad is from argentina so yeah a really nice story. Gio is very good at asking like personal questions. Yeah, it's definitely worth a listen. Uh, and you guys probably saw him speak at. I did. At GC. Yeah, I love yes. it. Yes. Just mm -hmm. like such a, like an authentic guy. I like like listening to him. Okay. Okay. So you had a personal pain point around the co-warehousing business, but. To, Talk about your journey. Does the model exist in, you're in Omaha. Because you mentioned, the, yeah, tell us about the, yeah, let's talk about the model first. Does it exist or were you early to the market in your area? Yeah, we were first to market here at Omaha. And because I was working with a family that invested and was in real estate development, I was very aware of other challenges with the, management agreements when it comes to co-working and even the pain points of striking the right balance and having the right economics for co-working to actually work. And so that understanding that that was in the back of my mind. And it was truly Shannon that said, what I really like is the community sense that you get and the networking and the support that you find in a co-working setting. And she was the one that said, I remember the moment very clearly. It was one of those moments where she said, we really need co-warehousing. And I stopped on my tracks and I understood the challenges of co-working. Co and, uh -huh. and, 
it's some of the key variable, the economics and then the stickiness of the model. Yeah. Immediately, I said, I think this is a brilliant idea. Let's That's it. And then we started researching it and there was another company doing it. So that was validation. And so, yeah, that's basically, we were first to market here in Omaha, but we have ambitious plans for growth in the future. We'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Totally, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Was there any hesitancy to be first or did you feel like this is an opportunity? It's not here. We're going to do it. Yeah, I would say definitely we see the having the early mover advantage is as a positive for us. It is a challenge because we have to educate our potential members on what is co-warehousing and nobody's heard of that term. So there's some education that goes into it ahead of time, but it's been very, very well received. We've gotten a lot of support from not just community, like the members that we have here, but also community organizations and investors from the chamber and, on and beyond. It's such an and interesting it, model for supporting like economic development, right? I'm doing this task that is a little probably, it's a challenge for me. It's this group in Colorado that supports really small towns. And all the folks on the call are just really interested in economic development. So they're talking about like shared kitchens, some co-working and some co-warehousing type things. Like how do we help entrepreneurs who have a product or go to market? And that really can facilitate that. Okay. So yeah, talk about, yeah, talk about the space, square feet, where it's located. You said a couple of things that surprised me when I met you at Juicy, mm -hmm. sharing like warehouse weight in a cornfield kind of thing, but it's not. Mm -hmm. So yeah. tell us how you, you know, decided location size and then real estate model. I'd love to hear some of those details. We, we looked at buildings all across the city and a lot of buildings and it was very opportunistic how we ended up getting in front of this particular building. We're in the urban core, very close to an area called the old market and basically it's part of the old market. So it's a hundred year old building, four story size brick building. It's not your traditional warehouse. And, and that's interesting, right? Because we had to make a decision. And we thought if this building is interesting enough and if we build the right community, people will be willing to travel if they're not immediately adjacent to us. Now, this is Omaha, so a long commute here would be 20 minutes, right? So, so this is also very accessible still for people that don't live immediately in the urban core. Uh, but yes, we have a beautiful building. It's a historic building and very close to a lot of amenities. And we started... We have geolocated all of our members and there are people that are driving long distances to be here because they love the building, they love the community that we're building, but they also love the access to amenities that are within walking distance. So if you want to have a coffee or a beer or wine or lunch in a really cool restaurant, this is very walkable right here. Shannon, I don't know if you want to talk more about the process of the building. Yeah. So the building itself, it's, Emiliano said it's four stories, it's 56,000 square feet, plus another 22,000 below grade, which is an underground parking garage. Oh, got and it. Then, okay. So, yes. We have 75 warehouse suites and 17 private offices. Okay. And so that gives you an idea of the breakdown and the portions that we have here. We have a kitchen and break room, a photo studio and video studio. We have a training room that's set up classroom style for about 20, 20 to 30 people. And that we have a great lobby that has been used a lot for events. Our members, sometimes when they move in here, they want to share that with their okay. customers. And so they'll host a grand opening in, in our lobby, in our space, and welcome their network in. That's been really positive for us. We... We have a loading dock, which is an essential item for us so that we can receive pallet deliveries directly off the back of a semi. And that saves our members time and money. And then we have daily carrier pickups. So 
UPS, USPS, and FedEx. Right. Daily. Something that we learned firsthand is it really is inconvenient to have to be at your home or somewhere else waiting for the deliveries or uh, waiting for them to pick up your shipments. And so that that is included. It's not like Amazon. You have to sign for it, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. A pallet without a signature. And having that, that, that assistance, we heard it from many members where a lot of people, it's funny you mentioned this, that sometimes you look at LinkedIn, but a lot of people have side gigs and they yeah. have side businesses. They're getting started and they don't put them on LinkedIn. A lot of the entrepreneurs that we're serving come here at night or over the weekends and then they don't have time to be here to receive the shipments or to make the shipments. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you perceive so, them. Yes. Do you, what are the other services you offered? Do you take the products like to their warehouse? Bay? Yeah. What do you call it? Just a warehouse space? What's the space that they rent called? We call it their warehouse. And yeah. Okay. We do. We receive shipments. We scan them in. We, they get an email saying that their shipment was received. We place it in their unit. Okay. Um, so it is... We had a problem where if we wanted to go on vacation for a week, we were trying to figure out what was going to show up on our front doorstep. And we would have to ask neighbors to go lift these 30 to 50 pound boxes oh, yeah. off of our front porch and yep. take them downstairs and store, take them down to their house and store them for us. So it was a major inconvenience and a constant source of stress and worry that we completely eliminate that for our members. As far as our members go, we have 56 businesses already here. And that. Wait, and when did you open? Sir? Yeah. We opened October, October. 1st. Just this past 2022. Yeah, you're right. So you're still, yeah, you're still very new. That's amazing. Is that like what you thought, hoped might happen, thought might happen ahead of expectations? To me, it sounds great. We're really excited about the traction. I think it's been the hardest part is getting the word out and uh, right. reaching people and letting them know that, hey, we're here um, because most entrepreneurs are extremely busy and they are heads down working and uh, they don't get a lot of time to just come up for, to come up yeah, for air. And explore, so, like, you know, how else yes. can I solve this problem yep. that I'm having? Yeah. Exactly. We're 60% occupied right now. And uh, one of the exciting, we have a lot of minority and woman-owned businesses. Actually, 70% of our companies here are minority or woman-owned yep. companies. That's which amazing. In, in Omaha, Nebraska might not be the most diverse place. But yep. I, so I think that speaks volumes to the type of businesses and the type of entrepreneurs that are uh, needing the flexible option. Yeah, that's very, purpose was always very important to us. I worked in a nonprofit for almost 10 years and just doing a business just to make money, it wouldn't be exciting and it wouldn't be something that we would be passionate about. But this is really, it's a business with a purpose. And I would say too, that this is something, another barrier. We don't, if you are going to look for your own warehouse, you're going to be looking at a fixed amount of square feet for at least three to five years. You're going to make a long-term commitment and you're going to have to be credit worthy because most any landlord will want to know that you have the whereabouts to be able to fulfill your obligation. We take all of that away oh, from you. So we're taking barriers away. And so small businesses that may not have the credit worthiness can sign a month-to-month membership. And if they want to sign a multi-month membership, we can do that up to a year and we would do that with a discount. Yeah. Gio and I were just talking about that because we have some folks looking for space and having to really prepare them for the financial conversation with the landlord. And I think there's maybe this perception that landlords are desperate today and don't care as much about credit worthiness or the fact that you're a startup. But in fact, they care a lot because they're struggling. And so they don't want to make the mistake of paying for a build out for a company that can't, you know, so it's just like the bar is pretty high to get into commercial space. So taking that off the table for people who have, you know, side hustles or smaller businesses that they hope to grow is sometimes that's a total deal breaker. Like they just can't find that solution otherwise. Co-working mm-hmm. is 
similar, but it's like co-working, you can do it at home. And this is one of those mm-hmm. things at some point, and it's just really hard to do it yeah. at home. Are there any other services that you provide on top of the space and delivering items to the warehouse? We have on-demand labor, but it hasn't got, we're also learning. So it hasn't yeah. gotten utilized as much as we anticipated that it would. And we're also surveying our members and asking them what did they need? What would they find value in? So we're focused on space, the community and the logistics support. And the feedback that we are, we're getting is that the programming that we're offering, uh, whether it's legal expertise on how to set up your business or accounting or IT or web development. We have even members that are offering other members free five hours of consultation to assess your business needs. So there's a lot of cross pollination and a lot of people helping each other. And back to your earlier point, a lot of the businesses here, more than 70% of them are have an e-commerce component. So there's some commonalities and some camaraderie and how to yeah. help you build and grow your business. We had one more than one actually member, but one member went from one office, one warehouse unit. Now they have four units. They have an office in three warehouse units and they're looking at their fifth unit, maybe in the next month or two. So you can see how people, and they don't have to make that long-term commitment before they need it. And that flexibility to expand or to reduce how much square footage you're paying for is very helpful. Yeah, it's interesting because it's not exactly a niche, but to your point, the entrepreneurs have a lot of their business, businesses have a lot in common. So I could see like a lot of excitement about the ability to connect with each other, which is not even always the case in a co-working space. Yeah, I'm sure that's something that's like really valuable to see. And it sounds like you've identified some ways like to actually help with programming because they there are real needs. Sometimes even in co-working, it's really hard to figure out like what does an attorney need or but growing e-commerce or whatever kinds of businesses. Okay, what are a couple of examples of the businesses? What are some of the, I don't know, what's a, what are a couple of unusual ones that are in the space? Oh. Unusual, can I start? As I have to say yes, this one. Yes, go ahead. Uh, do CPR, do CPR. We have a CPR company. So I'll tell you the unusuals. So do CPR is a, is a CPR training company and they use our training room to the trainings, but they need a space to put their dummies. <laughs> and so that's one. The other one that is unusual is, is fun and we were not expecting it is a lawn and care company that rented one of our units by a window to overwinter their tropical plants, which in the past they were actually disposing of them and they were not in a position to have their own greenhouse. Yeah, there you go. So they stored the tropical plants over the winter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we figured out how we figured out a way to get them water. They okay. didn't need drainage. So those are two examples of unusual ones, I would say, that we were not necessarily expecting when we were setting out right. to do this. Yeah. But there's also really every business and the people behind the business are so inspiring and so diverse. It's actually, you get a lot of energy when you come and hang out with people like that. Yeah. Um, Shannon, do you want to share a few other members? Examples? Yeah, that's insane. The consistent feedback we get is that we have great vibes, like the good energy, the excitement of people doing what they are passionate about. A couple of the other Notable members like the Wallflower does event decor, so big balloon arches and wow. weddings and birthday parties. And she came out of her living room, so she was in her house doing all this. And GOT is does digital secure access like lock mm-hmm. locking system. So they they've been a great member as well. We have computer refurbishing. We have a state sales company. And- Sales. Oh, that's fun. Okay. Yeah. Candle maker, several okay. lines, clothing yeah. companies, and a coffee, coffee beans. Ooh. 
Yeah, company. literally yeah. a little bit of everything. It, sounds it is like very it. eclectic mix of really cool entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so four-story building, 50,000 square feet. What is your real estate structure? Do you lease, buy, investors? What's So we're, thanks to you, by the way, and because I know Shannon did the training, but I learned a lot by osmosis yeah, because I was, I was <laughs> oh, in the car yeah. when... Yeah, in the yeah, car, right? So yeah, on our long trips, I, I really learned a lot. And I knew that from, I was on the landlord side, right? With a family yeah. office where I was working. So I negotiated leases. I, I, I was, I troubleshooted leases that were in pro- hidden difficulties. And I knew a lot about lease, different lease structures and levers that you can pull to make a lease work for both the landlord and the user. And then I became very familiar, thanks to you and Shannon, about the management agreements and how that works for co-working. So I was very aware of that. Now, we decided to do a lease, so where we have a, a straight lease here, because we feel like its break-even point is really low, 62% occupancy for the unit. And we were comfortable taking that risk. Looking at the macroeconomics too, and the trends towards e-commerce and people, the great resignation and people doing more and more commerce over the internet. And then also the local vendors and local makers are getting a lot of premium, I would say attention and people are quitting their jobs to their passion. So looking at all those trends, we said, well, we're willing to take the risk and we don't feel like the risk is outsized. That doesn't mean that our model won't work with a management agreement and be open uh, both to a straight lease or a management agreement. Um, I can see that in the future, maybe a combination of those, depending on who the partner on the other side is, because you're really partnering with them. And now yeah. you have to have a meeting of the minds and really have, have I would say, congruent, a congruency in your vision. But right now, this is a straight lease. We have our investors that invested in the business in our, in, we did an initial round through a convertible note. This is something that is often, it's a tool that is often used to finance high growth companies and it's typically used in tech companies. Okay. But because of our plans and our vision, this is the tool we use for the initial round, one, 1.7 million on the initial round. And our investors, two of our investors that were our biggest investors in the operating company through the convertible note, they bought the building and they leased it to us. So we have a relationship with the landlord. Um, and so we were able to, I would say, negotiate what I would call that there are certain terms that are really helpful to have. And if you have alignment on in, of interest, it becomes really critical. So that's the way we structured this one. Now going forward, that may be a mix of management agreements with straight leases, but we will not own the real estate, the asset. Got it. Okay. I thought you did something creative you did, and you both have like real estate related backgrounds. So you're comfortable thinking about the creative ways to do it and what that can look like, which most, you know, a lot of operators don't come from that background and really have no idea where to start. Super interesting. Um, Okay, let me, I got to look at my long list of questions here. Okay, talk about being just quickly downtown. Is that a model that, is that like part of your brand or is, was this like, this makes sense here and now, and that may not be something that you replicate? Shannon, I think you, yeah, no, I think it's interesting to ask this question now, Jamie, because I think our thinking is evolving, by the way. I will say this. We were so early. Think, and we're totally new. So, yes. You, we're, yeah. And we're touring. Give you the ability to change your answers in a year. <laughs> Thank you. Whatever. I received the right. I received yeah. the right. So, basically, we're, we're, we have reviewed now more than 150 buildings in 20 different metropolitan areas across the country. And Shannon and I have personally toured buildings in three different metropolitan areas outside of Omaha. And what I would say is that, yes, initially we thought this is our niche, this is our brand, this is urban core. And either whether it's in the urban core or near a downtown in the suburbs, but it has to be close to amenities. Yeah. We, we still believe that's true. 
what what has evolved for me is that we don't have to have one product line and it doesn't have because every city is different and this is who are in different cities you start to realize that there are certain dynamics that are very local so you can't really cookie cutter say this is true for every city and so as you start touring new downtown areas and new urban cores you're like not every urban course the same and so in some cities there might be an opportunity that is more in the suburbs or is in the outskirts and there's probably the right deal and yeah. so we're going to probably i think the ultimate driving force is getting the right building in the right location at the right price in the right condition and if you can take your time and basically cast a wide enough net in this market, you can definitely find the right deal, basically. And deal, when I say deal, is a motivated landlord that understands the vision, that is friendly to the vision, and it has the capacity and the sophistication to work through a more, I would say, complex lease agreement with you. Wait, sorry. Shannon, I don't know. Well, really quickly, you mentioned a couple, you mentioned there are certain terms that you need to make these work. Is a lot of free rent up front one of those for you? Yeah, but if you've done leases before, it's not just getting nine months of rent abatement. It's also about when does the clock start ticking? Yeah. Because if you're doing tenant improvements, when does the clock start ticking? And that, that can make a huge difference. Right. Yep. Especially when you're trying to get to occupancy, if it takes... So it didn't take you that long, six months, seven months to get to your 60%, which you mentioned is break even. That is, you know, almost lightning speed for a lot of models. Sometimes it can happen, right? Sometimes it can take a lot longer. So to your point, if it took you six months to do the tenant improvements and that was your free rent and the clock started ticking with you day one, then you're out of it. And then you're, pay you're pay you know, paying full expenses and trying to ramp up. It's a challenging model and really challenging to negotiate, which is why I think knowing what you need and like you truly believed what you needed to the core, right? You probably weren't willing to do feel without it because you knew you knew it. Like really, you've seen the numbers, you'd lived those numbers for a long time. I think that's a big advantage to know it so deeply. That's mm -hmm. what you're going to negotiate on because the deal is everything, right? The deal, yes. the mo the model matters, but like you can fix the model, you can. There's things you can change after the fact, but if you get that initial deal wrong, you're starting behind. Yeah. That's right. I think there's so many variables to look at the right deal, by the way. It's so the lease structure, but then there's also the building efficiency. And frankly, when we first looked at this building, one of our concerns was this is an old building, has a lot of stairwells and staircases yeah. yep. and common areas. And that makes it a little less efficient, meaning yep. all of the 56,000 square feet what percentage of those square feet can you actually monetize? And yep. so you're looking at everything and then how much does it take to get the building up to what the standards are for you to open, which generally speaking for warehousing is different than for co-working. We toured with you. I'm not sure if you were in our cohort, but we toured a lot of co-working spaces in Chicago and yep. they're amazing. And my mind was just going immediately, yep. that's expensive. <laughs> and I somebody, has to, somebody has to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, right. Or that's a lot of unmonetized <laughs> space. It, yeah, the efficiency. Oh. I think the efficiency is one of the trickiest things for new operators to understand. And then the balance that you strike even within the space once you open, right? Like you need it to feel good and yet you need the model to work. I, I think it's not easy. Right. Yeah. No. What size are your... What, is there? Is there a... What's like a consistent size of the warehouse spaces? And then you just take more as you need more or do they vary? We have a wide variety of sizes right. and they, the smallest ones in this building are 80 square feet. Okay. Eight by 10 or nine by nine. nine. Yeah. And the largest unit in this building is 1300 square feet. And uh, so we could, it gives a lot of flexibility for you to start small and then grow or add on additional units as you need them. But we would have gone a little bit larger 
but the building layout just didn't wasn't conducive to anything larger than 1,313. Yeah. It sounds like it made sense and you got what people are are looking for. Okay, I'm also curious about technology. Is there any unique technology that, that's different from what a typical, I'm sure you have some of the typical co-working, some door access. What do you use to, Is what platform do you use? Do you use a different platform for your offices? For payments it's and all content? under one. It's okay. All warehouses, it's all space so we're we are using our office r&d which we found out about through this group and uh, we we are using for managing shipments and other software called envoy okay and yep. strive for payments and it's it's very much tech enabled and very similar to what the co-working spaces need to operate yep yeah, that was very, so that, all that was very helpful, that part of yeah. the co-working startup school. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking for my... Okay, I want to talk about bi- building awareness. So it sounds like new to your market, but you're at 60% occupancy already. How do people find you? They, do they, do, they don't know the word... I think that's one of the biggest challenges that's maybe happening in our industry right now. And this was a big topic of discussion at Juicy is these like evolving different models around how to use space, which I think is really interesting, but hard. And somebody in the Facebook group, Shannon, I know you're in the Facebook group, had said, oh, Jamie had this podcast about these different models. What do you call it? And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, this is really hard. Because... You have to call it something people understand and ideally something people are searching for. But people don't know all of these new terms. People barely even know co-working. So yeah, talk about your customer acquisition. Like what works? What are you, yeah, what are you experimenting with? What are you finding? Uh-huh. We've done a lot of analysis about this. We do paid ads on Google, Facebook, okay. Instagram. And then we are very active on social media and we have a great marketing manager who knows all about that stuff and then we also look at we've done a even a bus bench because we found out that there's people who aren't on social media and so they we have to somehow capture them we're like okay we're gonna we're gonna try this out so we're trying a lot of different things i will say that 40 percent of our members are inbound members meaning that they found us through either word of mouth or an event or social media. And, but 60% of our members are outbound, meaning that we found them, that we reached out to them directly to make initial contact. And we do that through going to vendor shows and cold calling. We will we'll find, we'll create lead lists and nice. call people up and tell them, hey, this is co-warehousing. We love your business and we think you would be a great fit for elevator and it takes it's a long process of courting but that 60 percent of our members are from us reaching out miliana can i add that it's absolutely critical to understand that you're building a culture of hospitality with your staff and that goes a long ways because a lot of our existing members have tour people have recruited people it brought other members with them we recently had our grand opening. We had more than 400 people. So we waited. Okay. So it was a delayed grand opening because yeah. we wanted to have critical Baby mass. Grand. I know. I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we, with, we had it on Thursday night. And by Sunday, we had signed up nine new members. And by the way, the 400 people that came, uh, Shannon and I were involved in the community here in Omaha. So we know a lot of people, but we only knew five or 10 people in, of the 400. So most of the 400 were people that knew other members, people know. that were invited by other members or people that were invited by our staff. And so being able to like also let go, and it's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about Shannon, it's about the community. And the more that you share that and then give a spotlight to the members, you put up a spotlight on, on, on the staff, then that generates that kind of traction of, it's a flywheel effect, basically. Yeah. Super interesting. And you made me think about so members that have team members, 
they're also really happy to have them be in your space, right? Versus like a more amenitized, professional, safe environment that's compelling to go to, which is probably a differentiator from other types of space that they could rent. That's interesting. 400 mm -hmm. people. Wow. 400 people were here. Jenna mentioned we have 56 different businesses. In terms of humans, we have about six, 160, more or less, yep. humans that come to work on a regular basis. Yeah. So I'm curious about, like, occupant, or not occupancy, but utilization. Do they show up to the space a lot? Like, co-working is always like, eh, Mondays and Fridays are quiet. And yes. <laughs> challenges. Is that true of your business as well? Or... Yeah, I would say so. It's all uh, people are given the choice that if they don't have to come to work every day, Monday through Friday, they don't. Yeah. So Mondays and Fridays are quiet. We do have members who are only here on nights and weekends. So yeah. our members get 24-7 access to the space. And so some of them have full-time jobs and they're here only on nights and weekends. But yeah, it's I would say of those 160 individual members, and 56 businesses, a third of them might come in and during the day. Yeah. So yeah. Typical. Of On a busy day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm curious, the outbound lead gen is really interesting and probably slightly easier for the co-warehousing model because you can pretty cleanly identify or maybe more companies example. with physical goods. Yeah. In mm -hmm. the space. And they had, maybe you can tell that they have a real active business versus people needing office space, business licenses and things. So who knows? I, not a lot of co-working spaces do any outbound. Is that someone on your team? How do you manage that? We have, so we have a, yeah, the top, the, in the sales funnel, the top part of the sales funnel is, is handle, but what we call our HQ. And we have a team that is, is young, but is really I would say both smart and passionate about like blowing it out of the water and delivering results. And so they're very good about delivering new lead generations and then calling, call calling. We have sales sprints so that we, we provide incentives to not just our staff, but also other members. So there's a lot of ways to keep that, like the sales, I think is something that cannot be underestimated. I think a lot of people think you build it, people will come and yeah. that's not true, not the case. You have Especially to show people. Something that people may not, so you said you get some leads, 40% total are inbound, some from Google, some Facebook and Instagram is probably more educating. Hey, this is what this is. You might be a fit. Yeah. When you, when you have a unique model, you can't just build it and hope they come. Yeah. Our conversion ratio from tour to, from tour to member is like 30 to 60%. And it's, it's a, when somebody comes here for a tour, it's a big deal. And so we need to make sure that we make it very personable. That is very, it's a good, good experience from the moment before you even get here to the moment that you, after you leave here, it has to be a, an amazing experience. And then do you have a community manager on site that does that? Like, what is that? Because you have some workspace, some co-working space. Yeah. I'm trying to think about what does that role look like? Yeah, we have two full-time staff. Okay. Community director, Nezi, who I, she's in your community yes. manager program, yes. Nezi Harges, yes. Is, yes. Our, is our community director. She's uh, amazing. Amazing. And then <laughs> Ladeja was hired, uh, I think, two months ago for community manager. And also the amazing. Two of them, the two of them work great together and they yeah. have the, they run a tight ship. So sales, mm -hmm. closing, giving tours and keeping members happy and addressing building maintenance issues. It's, they have a lot on their plates. Yeah. It's important for us to be involved at the beginning to kind of set the right tone. And of course, ultimately that's the culture that we're building, but we have been intentional about building the independence yeah. of the local like, team, because our key for us to grow is to be able to be replicable and in a way that is not solely dependent on us. So we have been very, we use traction, the EOS system, yeah. full, we're fully right EOS. Okay. 
before we even opened the doors, we had finished our entire like two full day sessions. And so now we take that seriously. And I learned that in my previous job is culture is extremely important and it's going to make you or break you and process and systems. Even though I'm a vision person, I'm a big idea kind of person. I value process and systems because I know the power. Yeah. The, the, uh, the power of actually being focused and being able to say yes to what matters most and no to everything else and to focus on what matters. And so the, all those principles, they all come into play because it's important to retain the right talent, attract and retain the right talent, and then it's contagious. And when Shannon was talking about the good vibes, that's part of the good vibes, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's, and so, yeah, we have those two full-time, those are running the lo- Omaha location and then. Yep. We have a headquarters team and their headquarters team, we have Emiliano and I, and we have a VP of operation and some sales and operations support our kind of staff. That are poised to scale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, everyone really excited. And I could not be more grateful for our staff and like their commitment, their enthusiasm and their dedication is just, it's really inspiring. We feel really, really lucky. I was going to say, I think EOS can be challenging to implement when you're new and have a smaller team, but it can also inspire kind of confidence from your team because mm-hmm. you're recruiting people to a true startup, which can be really messy sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. And for a team, that can be hard to feel like, oh, the founders are all over the place. And one day they ask us to do this. And the next day they ask us to do that, even less Further businesses that are further along can operate like that. And that can just be really hard for staff. So I suspect that also helps your team and helps them to do their best work too, because they know what they're pointed at. Yeah, but luckily our staff come from, they come from startup. Like they love the ecosystem. They are passionate about that first and foremost. So they came on to Elevator Eyes Wide Open, knowing what they're getting into. And I think they're enjoying the experience and the ride. Okay, sometimes I, mean, I think sometimes. we're not messy. We're not messy enough. Messy I mean, enough. Some of them, yeah, they're like, "Hey, we were expecting to stay up until three or four in the morning." I'm like, "This is not a sprint. This is a marathon." <laughs> and so, organization is everything. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about what's next, but tell me a couple of things that you've learned along the way in your short. I know the full journey has been longer than six months, but you've been open for six or seven months. Yeah, tell me a couple of things that you've learned that would be useful for somebody who's listening, who's thinking about not just co-warehousing, but the a similar model. And the two things that we always talk about that stand out that we learned within our, I would say, our first two months of opening was being intentional about sales because we were giving a lot of tours but we weren't closing a lot of units. And so we had to be like, okay, what's, what are we missing here? Um, and so it was teaching this, teaching the staff on how to close and the art of closing and some strategies when you hear objections and how to counter those objections. So the training around closing, and then also realizing that we are a hospitality first company because member experience, we can might close a unit, but if they're not having a great experience, uh, they're not going to stay. And so it's, there's the hospitality component that we didn't realize at the beginning was so important. And now that is our, one of our main focuses is that every single day we are, we need to convince our members that this is where they need to be. I love that. Okay. Anything else that you'd add, Emiliano, anything you want to jump in with? No, I think Shannon covered that very nicely with the sales and I also think that the team growing with us and setting the right culture. So that is contagious. I think that communicates volumes to the businesses that are choosing to locate with us. Yeah. Okay. So what's the long-term vision? What's next? (laughs) I'm glad you asked because we are really excited about what's coming and Basically, over the next 12 to 18 months, we want to open two and, if possible, even three new locations 
And then we are looking at a goal that is five to seven years from now being 15 to 25 locations across the country. Our 10 year goal, because we are EOS fully, <laughs> we have a 10 year goal. Our 10 year goal is 101 locations. 101. Okay. I love it. Okay. Yeah. I love this. Like the price is right. <laughs> totally. I love those numbers because they are ambitious and yet sound real. Sometimes we'll get, get juicy. I don't know if you listened to Venture X and yeah, they were like racing each other with like how a thousand and a year, I don't know, it was something crazy that Jason's than a thousand and one. And it's just numbers like realistically, you can't even get that number of deals done that quickly. It just takes time. So. And the build out and the build out, it takes time to negotiate the lease to negotiate the build out everything. It's just, yeah. you, I, I heard other operators say big numbers and I go, that's not even humanly possible. And you know this, but yeah. anyway. They know it and they say it anyway. And it's just, they know it, but it's funny that yeah. they yeah say it out loud yeah. and have that number in their brain. Maybe that's how some people work, but yeah, I like the EOS. Let's make a stretch goal and let's, yeah, point everybody at that and see if it works. Yeah. And also, Jamie, I would say that our hope is that the 15 to 25 locations over the five to seven years, that's organic. That's finding the building and getting it up and running. But the reason you go from 2015 to 25 to 100 by year 10 is because once you have 15 to 25 in your portfolio, you're probably strong enough to consider strategic acquisitions of other operators. So yeah. that's also part of the plan is not just organic growth, but you have organic growth with strategic acquisitions. Yeah. What do you think are the biggest market drivers to making that growth possible or challenges? What total? Real estate is it's at the heart of, of our business, right? Yeah. And the macroeconomics should not be underestimated because for us, if you're a rapidly growing company fundraising on a seed round, series A, series B, macroeconomics mean a lot. So Silicon Bank, Valley Bank going down under, yeah, it may not affect our members and our ability to lease up, but it will affect our fundraising abilities, right? So you have to pay attention to those factors in the macroeconomy and take that into account. And I think what we have that is exciting is that it's a very flexible model that works with more than one specific type of asset. So what we talked about before, that it can be in the urban core in a class B or C warehouse, or it can be in a class A warehouse, that's fine. It's adaptable. And so we can actually be opportunistic as to finding the right real estate deal with the right owner, landlord. So that's part of what the advantage that we have, but I, I'm, we're very well aware that we can't operate in a vacuum and some of the challenges are going to come from probably factors that we can't control, like the macroeconomic situation that we're living in right now, or the real estate situation. But right now is favoring, I would say the real estate situation, having landlords that have to either refinance their building yep. or they have to lease it up. Yeah, like you said, they're not going to give everything away, but they're more motivated than they were in our ability to take even an all office building and convert it into co-warehousing gives, gives us a lot of options. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I wanted to hear your sort of level of optimism. <laughs> there were some days when I wake up and I'm like, I don't know. It's a measure. It's a measure level of optimism. And I think I still go back to what I said earlier. In terms of the need for our co-warehousing concept, I see that only increasing. And I think there's going to be more operators, which, like I said before, that's great. People that we may acquire, or they may acquire us. So it's okay. It's okay. There's room for more than one offering. And there's going to be different products that appeal to different people. Some are going to be more industrial than others. Some are going to be more co-working-like yeah. and more amenity-filled. But... Uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of probably operators because I do think that more and more people are moving towards e-commerce and they're doing their own business and they're finding new ways to make a living and actually have a better life, life in general or work-life balance, right? Yeah. Yeah. I still think in this industry, it's hard to give secrets away because it's a simple model. 
somebody could listen to this and think that sounds pretty easy. It's not right. You guys know that like the things you're figuring out, there's a, there is a lot of secret sauce in your sales process and actually the things that you're accomplishing are not easy at all. It takes a lot of little wins across the board to pull that all together and to create the right offering and the right vibe. As Sharon said, as Shannon said, that not everybody can execute on that. I think most people cannot actually. So I still think it's unusual to walk into a profitable, really well-run shared office space or we'll extend that to co-warehousing. So I think, yeah, I'm excited to to watch your journey and see how this goes. So we'll have to have you back on. Thank you. Got more than six months under your belt. I can't wait to see, yeah. you know, where you are. Thank you. Yours. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate. I'm sure you've got a lot going on and uh, make no small plans. So thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, we appreciate thank We you, appreciate Jane. it. We appreciate the office, the things you offer and the resources that you yeah. provide as well. That's been invaluable. Good. Glad we Absolutely. Away. Awesome. Thanks, Thank guys. You. All right. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, tell a friend, hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. It makes a huge difference in helping others like you find us. If you'd like to learn more about our education and coaching programs, head over to everythingcoworking.com. We'll see you next week.